We here at The Expanse would like to dedicate the following episode of our podcast to the 40 passengers and crew of Flight 93, the 184 passengers, crew, and workers at the Pentagon, and the 2,753 passengers, crew, workers, and first responders at the World Trade Center who lost their lives on 9-11. I specifically would like to mention my friend's cousin, Vanessa Kolpak, who was on the 89th floor of the South Tower that day. May her memory and the memories of the others lost that day be a blessing. Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome back into The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast brought to you exclusively on Holosuite Media. I am but one of your hosts, Chris Hill, and with me this week is Kyle West and Perry Freeze. How you guys doing today? Pretty good so far. I'm doing good, man. It's my first It's my first three-way on The Expanse for a while. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, my first all-male three-way, actually, so... <laughs> Wow, yeah. the, the, <laughs> could take this the wrong way. Um, so I, <laughs> we're starting off good, starting off good this time. Um, no, I'm good. I'm uh, excited for this week's topic, uh, for what we're going to be talking about. And uh, uh, and on an update, Chris, the last time I was on, which would have been two episodes ago, I guess, yeah. um, when I had the jab, for, uh, the COVID vaccine, and I said, I hope I don't get too ill from it. Oh, my God. I, I, I got <laughs> out of the recording. I think I just went to bed. And I woke up six hours later, and I felt like I'd been hit by a lorry, man. It was uh, it was rough for a day or two. It was rough, but uh, I got through it. And I'm just I'm worried about the second jab now because I've I've heard that that's the one that really does floor you. So which one did well, you get? Uh, the Astra. Well, I don't know the name of the actual. Oh, AZ. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, Ast- yeah um, AstraZeneca, right? Yeah. So uh, my I've had uh, like friends who've had both doses of it. And on the first one, weren't mm-hmm. so bad. But on the second one, said it was worse than when they had COVID. Uh, so I've got, I got hit on the first <laughs> one on this. But So I'm hoping that means the second one won't do anything to me. But um, I'm just going to plan not to do anything, I think, for the day after it. I want to have it. Have you had any yeah. of your jabs, Perry? I know Chris has had his first. I have not. I um, keep saying I'm going to. And then, of course, I don't. I just like, I end up defaulting back to just not going anywhere. You know, I, I work from home. <laughs> I work from yeah. home and now with the, you know, with all the, uh, everybody delivers everything to your house. There's like, well, why do I need to go outside? Let me just yeah. stay home and wait for the old, you know, herd immunity to finally reach the, <laughs> the, the level, you know, but at the same time, I know that I need to, I have a small child and, you know, I may be comfortable being indoors a lot, but she's certainly not. So, um, I think what I'm going to do is wait, uh, just a little bit longer because, they haven't quite given the all clear for children as young as mine to get uh, the vaccine. And I would much rather kind of do like a side by side, you know, yeah, hey, yeah. look, daddy's doing yeah. it. Daddy's doing it. You can do it, too. You know, 
So a little shared experience for the both of us. Get her through it. We'll both get vac- uh, get vaccinated and then go on from there. Cool. I can say if that if that's your only reason to be hesitant, then that's no. That's yeah, I'm definitely going to get it. Like I'm definitely going to get it. Uh, I've just been I've just been you know cloaking my so-called uh, hesitancy in laziness. But uh, so far, <laughs> once uh, once I know that she can do it, we'll go together and get it done. Yeah, oh, sweet man, it's responsible parenting. I yeah. try. Uh, don't always <laughs> succeed, but I try. <laughs> same, same. Chris, how are you? Oh, I'm 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 doing pretty good. Um, the transition's already started for my new company. Um, like I said a couple <laughs> weeks ago, <laughs> had had a uh, had my orienta- orientation. Um, that was that was pretty fun. About a hour and twenty minute drive there. And then, you know, the return trip after I got back each day, but... Oh, nice. But yeah, uh, a lot of different, a lot of changes are going to be coming to my store here in the next couple months, so I'll probably be talking Positive. about all the... Positive Yeah, I'll, I'll be talking about all the all the renovation that's going on and how, how damn noisy it is. Nice. <laughs> okay. Because, yeah, what, what they're planning on doing is taking the our, our gas pumps and flipping them which side of the building they're going to be on. Totally re- rearranging the inside, so spending the money. Yeah, got got a couple months uh, looking forward to that. So, but yeah, uh, there again, you know, talking about our personal lives isn't really what we're we're here to discuss today. Um, <laughs> you say that, so you say, yeah, we say we I say have, that. I have no know. contact with ad- grown adults anymore. So, well, I mean, and I don't know about you guys, but like, I don't see how it, at some point when talking about Star Trek, it doesn't branch into your personal life. Yeah, true. It just comes up, so I'm fully okay with it. Like, don't uh, don't worry about it. I'll be good. I promise. That's very much how right. I tricked my partner into doing uh, the Trek podcast with me because I kind of when we first started out, we just sort of talking about random things on with a mic between us, and then would transition into the Star Trek talk, and she and then but she wouldn't really realize what was happening, and then the show was done. I'm like, oh, well done. It's, and then four or five weeks later, she was completely locked in. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> two podcast series with me but <laughs> very nice hey you gotta get them any way you can exactly yeah so yeah like, like i was teasing we're actually here to to talk about our namesake this week uh, the expanse the season two finale for star trek enterprise um but before we get into that let's get down to business real quick uh go ahead and give us you know that wonderful five star rating and a written review if you don't leave us five stars Leave us a written review on how we can get better. That's the only way that we, we know what we need to fix. Um, and if you haven't already, go ahead and hit that, that subscribe button. And we also do have a Patreon, which I'll leave the information here. If you enjoy listening to The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, every week, then please consider supporting our show by becoming a patron. Visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash nx01podcast. There you can view our subscription tiers. Some of the benefits of becoming a patron include early access to our episodes, bonus episodes, and so much more. Your support helps us continue to maintain and exceed the high level of quality that you have come to expect from this show. To all of our existing patrons, we 
appreciate you and your generosity so much. And to those of you considering joining us, we would be so thankful to welcome you into our group of patrons. Again, visit patreon.com slash annex01podcast for more details. You will also be able to find the website link in the details of this podcast episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about the expanse. Uh, basically, it starts out where we see this probe uh, enter Earth's orbit. It fires this laser beam, I'd say probably around Kissimmee, St. Cloud area, Florida, and just starts going straight line down. Uh, we see it hit the keys and clip the northern part of Cuba, and then that is our cold open. And one of the last couple times we'll get that nice melodic intro the last time man oh yeah yeah i think i think they did do it one or two episodes into into season three so we'll uh, we'll confirm that next week <laughs> i don't think so i'm pretty sure the season three starts with the jazzed up version yeah okay. i think the music did i think the star trek enterprise name appeared from the third episode okay on uh, they've since changed that, I think. Um, I think all of season three shows it now, but I feel like the music was there from from the Zindi onwards. I could be wrong though. Either way, it's a travesty of yeah. <laughs> theme song. Uh, you agree with me? You agree with me? Great. <laughs> I do love. I, I should put out. I do love the season one and two version, but the I said the same thing. Uh... I said the same <laughs> thing. I'll take season one and two. Yes. Yeah, like I said, I will confirm before we record the Zindi on 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 three three ways because I'll watch it on on Paramount Plus. I've got the updated DVDs and I've got the original DVDs in the clamshells, so I'll be watching the Zindi three times at least. Gee, <laughs> I'll just stick to watching it on Netflix. You can go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, after our cold open. Uh, we actually don't go to the Enterprise. We go to Kronos, where Duras is given a mission to capture Archer to regain his honor. Oh, Duras! Yeah, yeah. One one of those where we kind of kind of wish he'd you know, Ar- Archer would have just taken care of him and wouldn't have to deal with the sisters later on. But you know, <laughs> um, I, mean, I think they do a great job making us hate that name throughout Star Trek. Like, I mean, oh yeah. Is there any other, I can't think of another name that they have ever used that as soon as you hear, you're just like, ah, we already know, you know, like we know nothing good is coming from Duras. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter what situation it is. I hear Duras dropped in. I'm like, nope, you're a total, you're just a POS. I don't care what your goal is. I just know it, you know, and then of course they prove it. So yeah, when yeah. like, we're never wrong. <laughs> they, they yeah, always, yeah, exactly. They always <laughs> never wrong. Turn out to never be wrong. pieces of shit. Yeah, <laughs> and and yeah. obviously, you know, they they destroyed an enterprise. But yeah, after after uh, Duras gets his his mission from the uh, Klingon High Council, then we we step back to to the Enterprise mm-hmm. where all the senior staff are gathered. Um, this is actually the first time Flox has been at one in in a good while that he mentions. Um, Everybody's trying to figure out where Archer's at, and Hoshi's like, well, he's talking with Admiral Forrest. They've been talking about three times in the last hour, and um, pretty pretty soon, or Reed was getting ready to say something, and at that point, that's when Archer walks in and informs them that Earth has been attacked, and at this point, they're estimating about a million people have, have died in this attack, and a swath 
uh, about 4,000 kilometers long. They're from Florida down to Venezuela. So they hit they hit the right hemisphere, at least, you know, for Starfleet's purposes. And then after that, they kind of that's when they get the, the, the message that they're getting recalled back to Earth. So that way they can kind of figure out what's going on there and then formulate a plan. As they're turning around, uh, the Sulaban show up. I think it was about five or so cell ships. Archer gets uh, gets captured, and Silic. At first, he's thinking it was a Sulaban that attacked, but Silic's like, "No, this our our little, you know, leader dude wants to talk to you real quick." And so that's when we get the information that it was actually this new faction involved in the Temporal Cold War, called the Zindi. Uh, the only reason that they've attacked Earth is because they were told that in 400 years, Earth was going to destroy their planet. And then Archer's like, well, why didn't you tell us, you know, before this happened? And Future Guy says, well, because you probably wouldn't believe us. And Archer's like, well, you're probably right. And so then Archer, at this point, Archer gets something that we don't know he gets it until later on in the episode to kind of help prove what's what's going on. They, uh... It's a pretty peaceful ride from there on back to Earth until they get you know close enough to see see the sun from outside the solar system, and then that's when Duras makes his attack. I'm gonna say they they're able to fight him off mostly, and then a couple other ships from Earth come in to help help out Archer and his crew. They make it back to Earth. They get the uh, the full debriefing. Everybody's trying to figure out you know what's going on, what what they're gonna wind up doing. Archer go ahead goes ahead and presents the information saying, Hey, these Zindi are the ones that, that attacked us. This is where they're located. Uh, the guy that I talked to said you wouldn't believe me, so here's a little scanner with a quantum dater. And so you see this this was made four years ago, this was made twelve years ago. But this little piece of te- this little bolt of technology made four hundred and twenty years into the future. And they're like, um, okay. And then so he pulls out another one, same reading. And the thing with, you know, quantum quantum dating, it always gives a positive number, not a negative number. So this one gave negative 420. And then at that point, that's when Archer's like, okay, so yeah, we got to go to this Delphic Expanse. Saval does Saval things and, you know, tries to dissuade Archer from, from going in. Shows them basically Pon Far on steroids on, on this one... Vulcan ship that entered in there um, and mentions that, that the ship has been, been destroyed not by damage or or anything that it was probably destroyed from, from within. At that point, Saval sends a message to T'Pol. To They're going to talk. Uh, at that point, T'Pol has been informed that the Vulcan High Command is basically recalling her to Vulcan because she's spent too much time with humans. And T'Pol doesn't really appreciate that a whole lot so she's kind of taking all of this information in and she goes to to flocks after she realizes that 200 snow beetles have been brought on board indicating that flocks is going to be staying with this journey and then uh, flocks kind of you know gives his his counselor advice as saying hey you know this is going to come down to loyalty you know you've been with this crew for two years is your loyalty more with this crew or with the Vulcans at this point? At that point, T'Pol kind of makes her decision to go ahead and stay, defying the Vulcan High Command. Archer's trying to be like, hey, no, you need to 
you to you know follow your orders and uh to Polk was like hey you know well you guys do need a science officer and i'm qualified Vulcan high command or not and so she gets she she winds up staying on they get they wind up going getting closer to the uh the to the delphic expanse and doros comes back with two more klingon birds of prey and they are attacked on the way in they get close to the edge of the the inside edge of the uh, particle cloud or surrounding it at that point archer has mayweather perform an l4 maneuver at, at high speed because the dura Dur, the duras is the only one that's following them and only has the shielding on the front not a whole lot on the back so they wind up getting getting the attack and taking care of duras and we are in the delphic expanse at this point and that pretty much ends the episode i might have missed a couple things but we'll we'll go on down the line so uh, oh, yeah can i just say uh, i meant to cut in yes earlier when you mentioned that the the carbon dating or quantum dating whatever the hell it was uh was was four twenty an inside joke? Do we think as the uh, <laughs> you know I thought I thought that too as he was as he was reciting there. I was just like you know what I wonder if some you know uh, overly zealous nerd just slipped that in there and hoped no one would notice, and then it was too late for anyone to pull it back out. <laughs> I yeah. do because I never noticed it in all this time until my rewatch um, before this recording. And I was like, 420? I was like, seriously, that's that's got to be deliberate <laughs> that they've gone for that. I, I, yeah, I feel like the same thing. It's got to be deliberate. It's one of those things that, you know, uh, Rick Berman just, he was probably tired that day and didn't <laughs> and didn't realize that was in there, you know. So. Or, or, or he was he was too old to care. <laughs> or yeah, or that, yeah, too old to care. <laughs> so what were your, uh, your, your initial thoughts here on the episode? Uh, we'll start with Perry. <laughs> Initial thoughts on the episode, um, shocking first off that uh, Sphere cut that path, you know, uh, across Earth. I thought it was really bold of them to do something like that um, because, I mean, obviously in all the Trek that we had seen beforehand, most of the conflicts were not just external, but they were often quite far away. So for something to happen to Earth and for it to be so visceral was, um, yeah, just very jarring. Um, it's one of those things that like it, it without being told that's what it was, it definitely was a, uh, signaling a tone change in the show. And, yeah. um, you know, and sometimes you can kind of gradually notice through the seasons when the show kind of changes its format a little bit. This one started, you know, just again, a very shocking, um, I keep using the phrase jarring, but that's what it was. Just a very shocking, jarring moment to show that this show was going to be completely different from here on out. Um, overall, I liked the message that we were seeing with the change. Um, I like that they were kind of up, upping it with the drama, you know, um, because I felt like that was exactly what Enterprise needed and what they were kind of building to, but they were just kind of slow getting there you know um and this was a great way to kind of like just jump both feet in and do and do a great job with it um you know seeing the duras family featured once again and knowing that you know seeing that continuation of a a legacy name i enjoyed that i know some people kind of feel like oh it's a cop out they could have given us a new enemy or whatever but to me i feel like it completely works because you know we knew 
Duras from obviously TNG and his dealings with Worf and everything else, the family's dealings with Worf, but to see that there's this kind of entity that goes all the way back to before the Federation was even officially founded, uh, I, I just like that kind of co- continuity with with that character as well. And um, I think my favorite moment in this episode is after the Enterprise's refit. And they're setting back out. And now we get to see the Enterprise updated, stronger, purpose-driven, and see it just completely, you know, obliterate Duras and his and his ilk there, you know, in, in the beginning of the expanse. So um a lot of pluses in this episode. I think some of the negatives were um well, for me it's Saval. Like I guess it's always kind of hard to watch the Vulcans in this one be so arrogant and condescending and just in some cases downright rude when, you know, all of our exposure to uh, to Vulcans beforehand, had they were more reserved and you could tell they were more uh, in that kind of guiding mentor role. And it was like gentle reminders that things aren't always what they seem and that, you know, human priorities aren't always, you know, the best priorities. At least that's how you kind of see them in other uh, Trek shows. But for this one, for them to always be like in your face, they're very arrogant. They're always putting us down and getting in the way and, and things like that. It's just, yeah, they, they make you not like Vulcans to a certain extent. Like you, Paul gets a pass, of course, but even that takes a while, you know. But yeah, anytime that I saw that Saval was going to be in an episode, I was just like, oh, you know, classic eye roll. You know, I was like, okay, when is this scene <laughs> over? Because, I, and I, and I mean, that, I guess that's a good, you know, tribute to Gary Graham portraying that character so well that, you know, I picked up on being annoyed by this character like i was just like man i wish he would shut up and go away like get out of their way let them do this thing why is he so you know belligerent and you know all this kind of stuff so yeah i mean the portrayal was so great that he did a great job of making me not like him i guess that's what i'm trying to get at there all right how about you kyle there is three episodes of enterprise that i think change the show um, you could argue two because i'm going to say one of them is broken bow but and there's great episodes throughout all of enterprise but if you were to try and pluck some episodes out of the top of your head that really sort of define the show as being something completely new from that moment onwards the first one's broken bow just because it was setting out how different it was to the other treks uh, then then there's the expanse which can Perry said, from the moment that Zindi weapon shows up in the teaser, you know the show ain't going to be the same uh, from that moment on, and the whole episode is different. You see, Trip is never a happy guy again after uh, this episode, you know, and um, Archer goes on a dark path that he never really gets off of, even though he has a bit of a rehabilitation in uh, home in season four. And the other one is Zati Prime in season three, where I think that what happens to the Enterprise at the end of that was game-changing for a Trek TV show, I think. so, And it really... I remember like having my, I don't know, my jaw hanging open, and I think my stomach was coming out of my mouth. I don't know what was going on. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing on a Star Trek TV show, because 
we'd never seen Voyager get beaten up like that, apart from in a, a reset episode, you know. So it was, yeah. um, it was it was nuts, and so the Expanse I think is a really important and really special episode. I think it's one of Trek's best episodes for me. I'm biased because Enterprise is my favorite show, but um, I think there's so many character moments in this episode. I never get too concerned about the Zindi in this one, you know. I'm uh, I never really I'm not too focused on the introduction of their name and everything in this episode. I'm just about the character moments. The One of my favourite scenes ever in Star Trek is when Trip and Archer are enjoying a drink and when they're on their way to the Delphic Expanse. Yeah. And then uh, they're beating on the bush a little bit until Trip just says, you know, tell me, we mean business. You know, we're not going to just do no, not going to stick to that non-interference stuff that T'Pol says. Please tell me we're going there. We're going to kick these guys' asses. And Archer says, "You know, we'll we'll do whatever it takes." That's a fantastic scene, and and the show just changes from there. And I think when I was watching that as a teenager, I would have been uh, fifteen. Mm-hmm. I would have just turned sixteen, I think, when I saw this episode. Actually, I would have, probably a few weeks before, and I'd seen all the spoilers because I'm in the UK. There's a little bit of a lag at the time between episodes. I was on TrekBBS.com, so I'd seen the full breakdown of everything going on in the episode because when you're that age you can't resist spoilers and uh, just seeing it despite what I'd read seeing the episode I couldn't believe what I was watching Uh, like Archer my hero captain suddenly implying he would do whatever it takes to stop this threat on earth and and so on and uh, yeah my first my first thoughts then were that this is a game changer and even now it's one of my favorite episodes to go back to because it it ends Enterprise as we knew it. At that moment, at that moment, season one and two, Enterprise is a different show. We're, we're now going, we're embarking on a uh, on a, a journey now. It's going to last until the end of the series. Um, obviously, the Zindi one ends sooner, but it all changes. The ship, like Perry said, the ship being a bit more built for purpose with the weapons it's got behind it and and such. It stopped being as much of a science vessel from this episode, uh, even in season four after the full the big retrofit it was you know it was bit still built to beat the shit out of <laughs> of other ships so uh, yeah. big episode big episode lots of behind the scenes reasons why it happened but um i think it was great and i've seen your notes you know about the book what i've read of the book i thought added a few extra layers uh, particularly to the elizabeth side of things which we'll talk about yeah. later yeah i can say for 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 me my initial thoughts on the episode was okay yeah this is definitely star trek's 9-11 parallel because at that point you know we we really didn't do they didn't really do any any anything you know as on the nose as this say apart from detained mercy Uh, yeah apart from apart from detained um you know since like Aaron of mercy and private little war in regards to to vietnam back in the original series and so and and Definitely, definitely got the the change that you know, Enterprise was going to be you know more like you know how how we saw the world, or how America saw the world you know post nine eleven. Yeah. So, and and you know, speaking of of you know nine eleven, we'll go ahead. You know, uh, whoever wants to to talk about the behind the scenes reasons why we we shifted. Feel, feel free to. We'll go ahead and put that in now. And... Um, if you don't, well, I'll, 
Great. I was say, I'll avoid the 9-11 side of things okay. on that because I've said a lot on it on our detained coverage. And also, you know, I'm currently speaking with two Americans. I'm not I'm not American. 9-11 touched me, but from afar. Um, and it's, it would not be my place to... To have the to make say, these comments, I don't think I, I want to. You can't. I leave can't, the floor you can't for you on, on the on, on the comparison between Starfleet's reaction and America's, because I figure being an outside observer, you, you'd be able to to better get that. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I know for me, my nine eleven experience was, you know, uh, I was in school when it happened, you know, and. Mm-hmm. I remember, you know, sitting in class and being bored in class and a teacher from another room running into the class and demanding that, you know, my my teacher at the time put the TV on because something had happened, you know, and, uh, you know, then we watched that unfold and we watched the chaos that ensued from that and still not being able to fully process what was going on. Like, I thought that it was like some weird movie, right? And I was just like, like, what? I remember saying, like, what happened? Like, what is this? Like, what TV show is this? And you're like, it's not a TV show. That's CNN. And I was like, uh, okay. And then, of course, we see the, the second plane hit the the second building, you know. And then there was just such a sense of, you know, disconnect wandering just through school. Because everything after that, no one knew what to do. Like, we, there was definitely no going back to um, the original plan for the day and and all that stuff, you know, and it, it was funny because like when you're in school, you know, we're programmed to respond to those those sh- those bells. Right. That means this class yep. is over and you're going to your next class. Right. So, you know, that was happening, but no one was moving, you know, and no one was was getting to that next bit. And so we had just confusion everywhere until finally the principal was just like, OK, we're sending everybody home. And we went home. Yeah, you know, and so um, watching this episode, and also seeing that kind of disconnect with the characters, you know, and uh, obviously they're doing this and they're portraying it on a level far beyond what I experienced in that, you know. But I still recognize that that there was this sense of trying to carry on, but not really sure what you're really supposed to be doing. Um, general confusion looking to your leaders who are also kind of confused and trying to figure out what your next move is and you know kind of just hoping like hell someone comes along and tells you what to do because you know until someone does you're kind of just stuck you just like yeah you just don't know where to go and um you know that was one of the things that i've always enjoyed about um enterprise was the fact that they i feel like they did a really good job of grounding this show to contemporary humanity um you know Mm -hmm. with with next generation it's kind of like those guys are supposed to be like the best versions of us they're always in control they always know what to do uh there's never a question who's in command and they they just have a direction right but in enterprise it's there's some of that you can kind of see the beginning foundations of that but they're very much a you know everything is very personal to them they're always seem to be very nervous, um, you know, and there's the constant question as to is is this right? Like, are we doing the right thing? You know, that seems to be like the undercurring theme of the show. And so to see Archer go from 
that kind of hesitancy to like you like you said you know we're going to do whatever it takes we're not um we're not holding back we're this is our mission now you know and kind of giving that unifying uh purpose to the rest of the crew and seeing that change over in them um i just i really enjoyed it and um I think I think that's why I continue to come back and watch that episode is because I mean literally in one episode you can watch that change in them. They go from again just kind of being scattered to unified and moving forward. And I just I like it. Yeah, I'm gonna say for for me, with with my memories of, of that day, I had heard rumblings in between my first and second period of you know of of, of the attack. It wasn't until my fourth period around 11 o'clock. So after all, I think after both towers had already fallen or get, or they were about, or yeah, they'd already fallen. That was my first time actually seeing what had happened. I had, I had two, two thoughts right off the bat. The first was a prayer. It was my God help those people. My second thought was, cause this is just how my mind, mind, my, how my mind works was, that looks like those the exact same spots from where the asteroids hit in Armageddon. That's just kind of how my mind worked, and there, yeah, same same with with your school, my school. They we just kind of you know we we still went to to our different classrooms, but we didn't really do anything. Um, they sent us home. Uh, I actually called my mom to come pick me up from school because I think she was off that day, but my sister rode the bus because I it was just one of those where you know we we. I wasn't really sure what all was going on. Yeah. Like and at, at that point we had, and there was people buying, buying gas of all things. Cause they weren't sure what all was going to happen with all that. It was a lot, a lot of my, or yeah, a lot of my, my family was saying, you know, it reminded them of the, the gas shortage in the seventies with how many people were lining up to get gas. Yeah. Well, cause I mean, we were, we were also finding out about those other planes being, you know, hijacked too, you know? So yeah. I think there was that fear of, you know, is, is this a one-off attack or is this like a, the beginnings of something major? Cause you know, just, you know, we had that, again, the, uh, the Pentagon and there was that one plane that went down. What was, what was that in, was that in Pennsylvania? Uh, Shanksville. Yeah. yeah. Shanksville, Pennsylvania. So, so yeah, I mean, there was just a lot that was happening and uh, yeah, I remember that too, getting home and, you know, people were just, panicking everywhere you know so yeah no no you're fine you're fine um one, one thing i do remember it was there it was is that in, in the evening all everybody from from both chambers of congress came together and and they sang god bless america and considering how far we've come from that day to what the political climate is currently in america it it's amazing that, that, that a lot of people have actually forgotten what happened. So, yeah. so well, we'll, we'll bring Kyle back in and, and, and ask him if uh, Starfleet's reaction was close to America's since he, he is the, our outside observer and he'd, he'd have better insight into that. <laughs> um, it's, it's funny because at that age, I actually, assumed i was gonna move to america one day and and work in la and you know i had all these dreams of writing and things for tv and so i felt i had a very close relationship with america without 
haven't ever been there at that point, and I've only been one time since. But uh, my dad, however, was more... Uh, I don't know what the word would be for it, but uh, he had a, he didn't think Americans were, and this uh, this is not meant as an attack on either of you in this thing now, but uh, he he didn't think America was quite what it would kept portraying itself as. Because my dad used to be uh, in the forces and such in uh, in Britain, and uh, so I guess I don't know if he had encounters or whatnot, but uh, he he just believed that America was would sometimes blow smoke up. <laughs> It's so nice. No, don't get me wrong. Us Brits do it all the time as well. So I'm not. I'm not claiming that this is just an American thing. But um, so when when it all happened, I was very much of the the gung ho, go go get whoever did this and and kick their ass. And I think everyone kind of did. But I remember I remember my dad saying to me how you know they they'll just go after everyone. He just said that. He said he said that's just what America will do. They'll just they'll just go they'll just go after everyone. But he also pointed out that. Um, the relationship that you know these governments always have with a lot of these cells who eventually become the enemy. Uh, you know, I think mm-hmm. Britain have had a part ourselves uh, with enemies of the last twenty years who we were helping before, and America in the exact same situation. In fact, with this, the particular man yeah. behind uh, behind nine eleven. But um, so I think that the comparing Starfleet and America's reaction. Is I think America, from my perspective, was just much more ready to go out and kick someone's ass. Now I think the Enterprise crew were ready to do that, but I don't feel like Starfleet were presented as being ready to do that. You know, they I think they were they were still okay. ready to do whatever the Vulcans were telling them to do, and America didn't have that because America has at least since certainly since World War Two has considered itself as one of the the major superpowers who doesn't have to answer they've, to they've anyone. They've been really. the Vulcans. Uh, yeah, so yeah, they, they, there's no one who's going to tell them to um to take a step back or uh, or whatnot. But so I think Starfleet the comparison I don't think is there um with them. But I certainly think uh, the way the Enterprise crew were treated for it and wanted to go out and and get revenge was I I, I took that as very similar to what I was seeing online cuz I was active on the internet at this at that point you know it was i mean it happened like what two weeks before enterprise actually premiered as well so um so yeah. i was very active online i saw i saw a lot of um, american people's reactions people who were older than i i was same as you guys you know i was a teenager in school and um and i i don't know it's, it's, it's hard to say because i don't think I, I think the episode shows that maybe that nine eleven emotional reaction that like I said I had as well for you guys which is that you know go out and you need to you need to go and kill those who, who, who killed you or tried to kill you you know but I'm, I'm really really happy that in season three they showed the other side you yeah. know and that they didn't just go with that approach and because ultimately that approach doesn't actually fix anything you know uh, an eye for an eye is never never the solution and I um, and I'm really grateful that that's exactly what enterprise taught us yeah because i don't think it looked like we were going to get that in the expanse it didn't look like it was going that way well i think that's what star trek has always been so great for is teaching us like you know it starts with that very you know um again that grounding basis that 
that this is the initial reaction that we may have right now, right? Like, like again, the the hurt, the shock, the anger. That's definitely something that we can all gravitate around as feelings that we would have in that situation, right? But then it mm-hmm. comes after that. It's how do we deal with that? How do we process that? And rather than you know letting any character really live in that anger, Star Trek has always shown us how to move beyond it and to you know focus that into you know protecting your people but also understanding yourself you know like you know the episode we see especially archer and trip coming off as they're very aggressive they're taking this moment very very personally and um over time we see that you know trip learns a sense of forgiveness you know and then we see archer moves into more a sense of uh i wouldn't say vengeance but it's he wants to direct again it, it, yeah, it goes from vengeance to being i want to make sure this doesn't happen to anybody else ever again no matter what side they're on you know and so with yeah. that it's because they go through a point of forgiving the enemy but also trying to understand the enemy when they uncover as we you know you see later on in the, in the series you know that what was driving the zindi behind their actions you know and his mission changes it goes from again vengeance to let's protect the zindi too you guys are being manipulated here this is not this is not a uh, cut and dry situation and that's the lesson that star trek is giving us here is that you know just because something happens to us doesn't mean that we immediately understand both sides that it's a clear cut thing that we need to take the time to understand what was the motivations behind that action and then also we need to figure out how we can overcome it and not just live in that anger and let that carry us forward and i think enterprise once again excels here it does it better than um a lot of the other trek shows and i don't know if that's because it was intentional this show is kind of it, well it's the prequel so we're still dealing with very you know human people here who don't have all the answers mm-hmm. or if that was just a byproduct of of the show but um yeah i just feel like they once again do this very well and everyone else kind of drops the ball when they have these moments you know uh so yeah that's another thing that i really appreciate about enterprise in general and then this episode um, just as a, and I know you guys, when you get into season three, this will be much more of a conversation then, but the, the way it does turn, and we go from realising that Zindi did have their own reasons for it, and and they're not just all, all the bad guys, do you think as Americans at the time, that American viewers, the, the majority of them would have wanted to see that change though? Because this was what, two years, this is about two years after 9-11, uh, yeah. we were about to i guess no we would have probably already yeah. been in or about to start yeah. the the next uh, the the next iraq war our, our, um, yeah already started in iraq at this point. yeah so the uh, i wonder like now now we can look back and see how what enterprise did in the third season with the zindi it, it made it like perry said it not everything's black and white and you know it's not not everything's so clear there's a another side of things and i wonder if there would have been a part of the audience who maybe weren't ready for that yet because it was oh, still yeah such a it's sensitive it's still sensitive now and it was 20 years ago you know yeah. so um but now you can look back and with the way the world is going now thankfully well i say thank 
I'm not referring to all the horrible stuff going on, but the yeah. way that the way there's this younger generation, which I think we're a part of, which are much more open-minded and and, and things to I'd like to uh, think new so, ideas. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I think that I don't know. I, I just think a lot of people wouldn't have wanted Enterprise to do this. Uh, maybe maybe it worked against Enterprise that they did do this message, but someone needed to do it. Yeah, and I mean, maybe if that had been like if this had been like a one-off episode and not the beginning of an arc, if they had made that change so quickly, I think you're right that we would have seen a lot of negative backlash on Enterprise for trying to make it would have been seen as trying to turn us into a bunch of sympathizers right yeah but um i think that because if you if you look at the whole evolving storyline and just how long it takes and then also think back to what was going on then we did see a lot of changing attitudes like when when 9-11 first happened those especially those first few days and weeks afterwards everybody was on board with let's you know let's go get him whatever it takes we we want to make sure that we hurt them as much as they hurt us. Yeah. But then over time, I mean, I can remember against, yeah, you know, uh, no no proportional response here. We're blowing the whole thing up, right? But um, over time, it certainly became a, um, I, I felt like there was a change. The conversation became less, um, let's go get them and more, you know, who are we hurting? Why? We've got soldiers that are, are dying for this and families that are being destroyed by this. What can we do to end this now so that we can bring our family home, so that we can reunite family members, so that we can we can heal, you know? And uh, the longer that it was dragged out, the more that kind of uh, that dichotomy, I guess, really kind of just weighed on everybody. You know, like you want to sound very pro-America and pro, you know, supporting the the war effort and everything. But at the same time, you you do want to get on with your life and you do want your chance to grieve and you do want your family members to come home. So, um, yeah, I think that Star Trek played that out very well and um, gave us another way to view that whole situation too. I think it's particularly... Uh, it says a lot as well about this this particular arc is that you could make the Expanse episode today, and you wouldn't have to change a thing, and it would still be socially relevant. You wouldn't. You yeah. could make the exact same script, you know, and and it just shows that this was really on the nose at the time, you know, for and it still is two decades later. And I doubt I I doubt they even thought that when they were writing it. I doubt they thought that this was going to be still so so relevant. Uh, now, decades later, yeah. and there's a lot of Trek fans who have never even seen this story arc and don't realize what Enterprise decided to tackle. That's, that's uh, why it's underrated. That's one. why it's underrated. That's why exactly. the show continues to <laughs> continues to get picked on a lot. And um, yeah, you're, you're right. And I, you know, I always wonder about that, like the fact that it is an episode that, you know, like many other Trek episodes, is one that shines a light on a situation that. Again, these were filmed 20, 25, 30 years ago, depending, you know, what, episode, what show you're talking about, you know, yet they still, these episodes remain culturally relevant. And I always just wonder, it's like, do the people who are writing this realize that's what they have created? Or was it just a one-off, we need to get this episode out, we, you know, focus on something else next week, we need to finish this, yeah. so we can move to the next one. Yeah. Because... I mean, the episodes become like literal mainstays and you can jump from uh, from 
series to series and find a few of these episodes and i'm and i know it's not the same writers but i'm like what are you guys doing that you have latched into this uh occasional one-off these are poignant sticking point episodes you know um and i that i just always have found that fascinating like no matter what else is going on in the show no matter what else you may like or dislike about each and every individual show there is an episode that's like you know what that one right there that's the timeless one that's the one that 20 years from now mm-hmm. we'll still be watching we'll still be talking about it'll still be relevant like that's it and i just always wonder how they do that because yeah, ultimately say, sorry go on chris go on. okay yeah for for me there's two <laughs> that i wish you know were not as on the nose and as relevant today as they were nearly 30 years ago and you know 55 years ago and that's let that be your last battlefield and uh past tense from ds9 yeah yeah i mean it's because i'll go completely side going off on a side topic now but it's it's because the these are commentaries on the world and the world hasn't changed much you know yeah. so they just trek has just been drawing attention to think to problems that uh, have been there all along and yeah. will continue to be there probably long after all of us have gone because you know that no one's held a complete mirror up at planet earth just yet to say you know look at yourselves and uh, and fix well, this no, but nobody nobody has forced people to walk, to see the mirror of that's earth. right that's right yeah and um the um what what you say saying there perry about the the writers and sometimes they hit these moments of gold it's just like yeah i mean but for Enterprise to do it with a whole story arc, yeah. you know, like a whole season. Uh, and you look at Detained was another one that I think we covered that actually a few months ago uh, on here. And uh, that episode has become one of our most downloaded, if not our most downloaded episode, because I guarantee it's relevant to people still. The, the one, you know, that random season one episode that was dealing with basically don't judge uh, don't judge a, well, a, a people or community by the actions of a few extremists, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. that's our highest downloaded episode uh, of this show. So, I, I don't know. I think I think you're right. I don't know if the writers do know if what they're writing is going to be so relevant later on. The DS9 episode, Chris, that you just mentioned, then, you know, was it ever more relevant than particularly last year in the summer? And um, and I just think. There's probably more to come, don't you? Sometimes, Perry, do you, do you sometimes sit there with like Discovery and and Picard and and think, when are they going to do one that is what? the the one that we're going to be watching in twenty or thirty years still oh, and going? Ooh. It's not even it's it's not even a, a wonder when it's a uh, it's an inevitability. And my question becomes. Am I going to have time to watch it now? You know, like that, <laughs> yeah. that's what it is. Like, I, am I going to catch it the first time or is this going to be a, I'm going to have to go back and review and now upon second thought looking at this, why is this important? You know, because I think you can kind of get a sense when the episode is talking about more, touching on more than what they seem to be initially presenting to you. But I think it always takes a rewatch or two to before you finally get mm-hmm. the full message. Yeah. You know, and another great episode for, you know, which also ties into the war theme is in Deep Space Nine. And uh, man, I'm blanking on the title right now, but it's uh, 
with Nog dealing basically with his PTSD. It's only a paper moon. Yes, thank you. I was, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean that one also stays as a as a timeless episode because I mean again he's it's dealing with PTSD and this this soldier coming home and he's wounded and trying to find his way back not just to um, um, being a soldier again but to his life and to his family. Yeah, you know, and uh, not something that I think when I initially watched it really had a connection, you know, but years later when I was in college and doing a rewatch, it particularly struck me because I had now, thanks to nine 11, I was mm -hmm. in school with uh, vets. And so I remember I had a vet on my football team and um, not really understanding what that meant. And when, when he would have, certain episodes and he would have difficulties with her and things you know not really knowing how to deal with him or relate to him and i have to admit yeah star trek helped you know because it was just like here's a person who is going through something that you know um it's i guess you could say through no fault of their own you know and they're they're trying to be better he's not shying away from life he's not you know trying to downplay what happened to him or anything like that but he's got to figure out a way to move you know, through it and beyond it. And what can I do to help that person out? And so once again, Star Trek yeah. has given you, you know, some tools. I, I mean, obviously we can't do exactly what they do, but, you know, some tools to help this person cope. And I'm just, you know, again, I was like, yeah, didn't get that as a 17 year old, but I certainly understood it, you know, later on as a 22, 23 year old kid, just that, that short span of years. Yeah. yeah. And mm -hmm worlds of understanding different you know and um i'm sure that yeah like i said i'm just i'm just it's a ma only a matter of time picard will get there if you know it gets the run that it needs discovery i feel like has probably already had a few of those, those moments <laughs> i was but, about to say i was about to yeah, say because yeah. um, but the thing about discovery i feel like uh yeah i'm just gonna have to watch it some more they they i feel like they give you so much to where like i, I knew somebody who actually said that they don't like watching discovery because they feel like discovery is um preaching to them all the time uh <laughs> so it's like yeah you know i, I say yeah, i kind of see your point you know but yeah i think that's why it's going to take me a couple of rewatches because you know you gotta you gotta get through that high-handed you know talking down to you kind of parentish thing sometimes vulcan like yeah in enterprise yeah <laughs> well just in discovery's defense quickly before we do move on i will say that uh i've never found it particularly heavy-handed but actually when you look back at the old trek shows they were all pretty heavy-handed sometimes oh, oh the yeah messages. well well i think that's that your last battlefield being yeah. one of them I, yeah well look at look at tos and think like how did gene Roddenberry get these things past the censors because there's this big thing about how he was tricking the censors and the network execs and stuff, you know, to I say, sorry, I'm saying censors, you know, it should be network execs, um, to, to touch on all these subjects. But when you watch them, you're sitting here thinking, how did no one know? Like, I, how did no one in the I office know the, what this was I think about? the simplest answer to that is because he was presenting them with something they had never seen before. And I think that's why he was able to push through so much. And it also explains why he got so much pushback 
when Next Generation came along. Yeah, you know, yeah. well, they knew they knew what. Yeah, because at that point, yeah, and they yeah. they not only knew what Star Trek was about, or so they thought, but they also knew what Gene Roddenberry was about. And so when Next Gens came up, they were like, nope, you know, and he just they were <laughs> they were ready to stand there and block him because he he did push so much through on the original series, and they just they didn't know what to do, you know. But um, now I think that we've and then run into. Ira comes along, steals his thunder with DS. Oh, yeah, well, well, I was going to say <laughs> now we've kind of run into where it almost feels like Star Trek. They feel like they have to, they have to be yeah. this kind of this gold star standard of telling us the problems that we're not confronting, telling us what we're not facing, yeah. you know. And um, yeah, it's. I think that's just become the the true story arc of of trek and i mean when you've been a part of the entertainment you know zeitgeist of a nation for 50 plus years you i guess you kind of have that responsibility no one else no one else can do that no one else can say that yeah no i agree with you on that all right so uh we'll move on to still a sullen topic but you know Mm. not not personally (laughs) affecting anybody that's that's actually real Mm. uh we're going to be talking about elizabeth coming up Uh um in the uh the prologue of the book it kind of describes you know how elizabeth saw the zindi attack and she was snorkeling off the florida keys um so do you think the episode would have been helped seeing the the attack from her perspective or do you think they made the right decision with with the teaser just showing it from space kind of cold and not as personable I'm going to say that, uh, I mean, I love this episode. I love Enterprise. Mm-hmm. I very, very ever, am I ever critical of it. They could have done Elizabeth a lot better. Yeah. The book is a start. That that first chapter where you see her final moments, uh, I thought was, uh, gave me more of an idea of who she was than what Enterprise told me over all of season three mm-hmm. uh, and beyond through Trip. Because we were only ever seeing Trip's view of her which was always his little little sister but the book presented us with a woman you know yeah. and um and given that this episode would have been getting written for probably you know a number of weeks before they filmed it so they would have probably been doing three or four more episodes prior to this one mm-hmm. uh you know from sorry from when the writing started or the story development they would have still been filming three or four episodes before they started filming this one. Mm-hmm. So there would have been an opportunity, I think, to inject Elizabeth into the mm-hmm. show before through name dropping. Yeah. Uh, I would have personally shown her on yeah. phone calls. Uh, and then if you did open the Expanse episode with her death, or at least, uh, you know, intercut the attack with seeing her in Florida or wherever she was uh, when she actually died you would have had a face. There would have been actually been a face of the victims, which we never had. They tried to give it to us afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, but we didn't. Have, if we'd had it before, we would have known the emotional toll that this attack was going to have on Trip before mm-hmm. before we saw Trip find out about it. And I think that that's, um, that was a big failing. I don't know why they didn't do uh, yeah. Why they didn't do it. Because it would have been very easy. They could have just... Oh, we're doing this in... in the finale we need to just go back a couple of episodes because they used to do loads of random scenes uh yeah. cold opens quite often had very little to do with the mm-hmm. the episodes at least in season one and two 
So they could they could have done it. Yeah, they were. And for me, yeah. No, I'm sorry. I, I'm I just totally agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. You know, you were saying you know in the first uh, season they did the cold opens go off, really kind of the unique CGI effects they could do and and technology and stuff. But I 100% agree with this episode. How hard would it have been to give us a couple of times catching trip just getting off the uh, the comms with Elizabeth? having just had a conversation with her, right? Or, mm. you know, she's yeah. just sent him pictures of the latest place she went on vacation. He and he's talking about it, you know, and showing off this this pride, this bond that he has with this younger sister. You know, um it doesn't yeah, we don't need a full episode that features her or anything like that, but just those little tidbits throughout the season or even a few episodes leading up, just like you said, I think it would have made her death all the more significant to us. I mean, especially since we're supposed to ex- uh, accept that this rocked trip so viscerally, because I mean, he carries this with him for the rest of the show, you know, and it's a sticking point yeah. for him for the rest of the show. Even when he reaches that point of forgiveness, it's still something that he brings up, you know? Um, so yeah, I think that if they had just given us a little bit more of her besides this last minute name drop to ground this particular character, um, it would have been it would have been a, a perfect I guess the chef's kiss moment for for the trip story arc you know and Enterprise did such a great job of showing those interpersonal developments I just always wondered why they dropped the ball here with trip on this one because it should have been obvious in my opinion that they do that but they didn't the way they did do it meant that we just witnessed trips suffering mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and his loss but had we seen elizabeth before like in all the ways we've just described we would have also felt yep. that yeah. loss i didn't feel any loss from elizabeth i just felt for, i just felt for trip mm-hmm. but if we knew elizabeth uh, even in just those last couple of episodes before it we would have all felt you know we would we would all felt it and you know as you said then perry her presence was there throughout the show even in the, the final scene of um of the real last episode you know either when they talk about their baby uh half human half falcon elizabeth mm-hmm. you know just the name is there mm-hmm. uh, but we never actually met elizabeth yeah. uh, so imagine how much more weight that would have had mm-hmm. if we had known the other elizabeth so yeah a ball drop but very i thought it was a very good um character development for yeah. trip though i agree because yeah. it really did it really did strip that guy of of what he was and some might say it's quite tragic really when you think where trip ends up as well himself uh, his life is seems pretty sad for about eight years uh, before it comes to an end you know and so um well unless you take the books as canon but <laughs> uh, yeah but that 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 trip that happy-go-lucky guy is is gone mm-hmm. after this so uh so it was a good thing to do in the basement of the bar is gone <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah definitely that that guy yeah um you just wouldn't have seen him doing it again yeah so yeah i can say yeah to- totally agree with 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 both you guys um i do i do think though that trip did you know kind of describe her well enough to to where we at least you know knew he had the connection even if we the audience didn't and that was that was that's really enough to keep him you know you know, keep keep our sympathies with Trip. 
I would say that it invokes a weird sense of uh, nostalgia, at least for me, because, mm-hmm. you know, we we do understand that significance. And if you have siblings, yes, you can kind of, you know, you can you can make yourself get there. But there, I feel yeah. like it was just there was something missing in the fact that we never got to really see and experience this person. So, you know, uh, you know, um, Kyle, you brought up at the um you know, the end of the show and with uh, the first hybrid uh, baby and naming her Elizabeth. I mean, it was a it was a soft moment, sure. But again, the the feeling that I got from it was more a sense of, oh, yeah, that that's nice. You know, oh, that, that was really sweet. That was a tender thing, you know. But whereas had we, I feel like had I had more of a connection to Elizabeth and her storyline, I'd have been more like, you know that that's profound that's uh, a very poignant moment there's a there's a difference there and it's simply because i didn't really know her like i knew again knew of her did not know her so that's where i'm going to stop on that one so i'm actually going to save our sixth point for the last for the last point like right before our final thoughts just kind of wrap that up so we're going to move on to the uh to the zindi so um now did you guys see any any sort of parallels to you know either other countries or other you know pseudo organizations i guess you could say here on earth or do you think it was just really a one-for-one swap out i don't think there was an intentional i know the whole story arc we said was intentional but i don't think Mm -hmm. the zindi themselves were i don't think anyway an analogy for someone or something on our planet. Um, I don't think. Maybe they became that slightly uh, during season three as it went on, but I don't think they were planned that way. I think they were just a new alien threat. I don't think we knew at this point there was five different, previously six different subspecies uh, of of Zindi. Uh, I think the Suliban, if we look at how the Suliban were, they were were a very clear uh, analogy for how they were certainly developed as season one went on. I didn't get that with this, but then, you know, I might maybe I'm just not all too educated on the uh, the world political climate at the time. I mean, I know things that were going on, but I'm not as clued in then as I am now as a you know as a 35 year old man. So I don't know. I mean, what do you think, Perry? Uh, for the most part, I agree. I think there I I think there might have been an attempt made uh, to kind of make them into this pseudo cold warish let's get them before they get us type but that also kind of falls apart when they then kind of make them into these kind of different factions different types of zindi and i don't i really didn't see a true connect there and i again i kept feeling like there was an attempt to but it was also being written at a time that people were experiencing more of this. Uh, you can't just arbitrarily go around, you know, blaming a culture or blaming a society, you know? So it was, how can we write this without seeming like we're condemning someone? I, I, I guess another term, you know, could be like, we were entering in our PC era, PC 2.0, you know? So we're, <laughs> we're wanting to draw attention, but we can't draw too much attention because we don't want some group to come out of nowhere and sue us you know so things like that kind of tinge their ability to establish this definitely as 
oh, this is a Russia allegory. This is a China allegory or anything like that. That was the closest I could ever get was, I think it was more of a Cold War-ish response. And then they quickly moved away from that. Like like NATO and the Warsaw Pact. Yeah, okay. That I, I would go with that. I just just yeah, just uh even on that one, a more tangentially, because they again I feel like they were just like, we wanna touch yeah. on it, but we can't we can't do too much. Right? Right. You know, so yeah, I would agree. So, um and we'll we'll kind of, you know, break out of, you know, j- just the expanse right now and, and talk, you know, a little bit about the Zindi themselves. So, so what do you thought, think of, or what are your thoughts on, on the construction of the species having, you know, the formerly six, but now five, you know, subspecies. I, um, I enjoyed that being different, uh, being a different way to look at a species. I mean, I think that's always been the most critical thing that people have said about Star Trek is just how uniform all the aliens are. All the Romulans look the same. All the Vulcans look the same. All the Klingons look the same. And to see a race that... (laughs) Yeah, right. Well, until they went to a race that, you know, they finally just were like, we're going to go completely the opposite direction. Not only do they not look alike, but they're actually five different subspecies all made up into one. You know, so um, one thing I didn't like about it was I felt like there was some confusion about our arboreals versus mammalians because it was just like, yeah, I guess I guess that's just a holdover of my own, you know, science knowledge base. You know, um, the arbo- the arboreals looked mammalian to me, so I'm like, aren't you guys the same or? Like, why is there such a weird distinction between the two of you when you, when that name to me says you're both the same species? Mm. There's just a little bit of a look difference here. And so that always kind of struck me as I think someone was attempting to make a, like, make a difference, but maybe not understanding that the implications of the words they chose to name those particular subspecies made them the same thing. Uh, just one area which Star Trek once again is 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 trying for leaps and bounds, and then it kind of makes a misstep, you know. And it's not a, necessarily a bad one, but it's just one that kind of, if you're a person who pays attention to wording and naming, it was just like those two things are the same thing, you know. So that was always the one thing that kind of threw me off. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. I always wish we'd gotten to see one of the the. Um, Avians? The avians, yes. Uh, I love that they use that giraffe skull to indicate um, avian. But uh, I remember actually watching the episode with a friend of mine, and she started screaming. She's like, I'm pretty sure that's a giraffe skull. And I was like, I have no idea. I've never seen a giraffe skull, but I'll take your word for it. (laughs) So, yeah. Uh, With the the five subspecies thing i think was fantastic because yeah as as perry sort of saying then the the whole thing of you go to a planet and and everyone looks the same and maybe you'd have some different uh different skin colors and such on the aliens but they're all exactly the same you're just thinking how likely is this to be true everywhere knowing how many species live on earth and such you know it surely we should be encountering more zindi situations than we do 
ones like our own, you know. So I guess budget is the actual answer as to why oh, it's yeah. the case and enterprise yeah enterprise was able to go all in on the you know the insectoids and, and things like that which they couldn't have even really done too often a few years before on voyager you know species 8472 only showed up like what once a season if that um i guess yeah. that was probably um budget related but uh, i did i did appreciate this and it, yeah and it does draw attention to the fact they hadn't really done it before because you could have done reptilians and, and and other species where it's just costume makeup uh, that would have been mm-hmm. doable but yeah i thought it um the zindi is still unique for it as well that's the, that's the craziest thing is that you know they were introduced to the show what, 18 19 years ago and i can't think of a new species we've been given since yeah like that I said, have followed the that, same pattern yeah before that uh the closest thing we had was in Dear Doctor. Yes, that's oh yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Yeah, forgot all about that one. Yeah, um, but that was that was either or, wasn't it? It, it was kind of like right. one had to die for the other one to uh, to then become smarter and, and evolve at their own their own rate. Uh, I guess we've kind of had it with the Romulans now because they've yeah. uh, in Picard have tried to explain away the makeup differences over the years, which was so subtly done that mm-hmm. I think it was brilliant, you know, just saying, well, all those Romulans that have had four heads since <laughs> since TNG came on the air, yeah, they're just from the north. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just say, oh, right, well, that's great. We just haven't seen anyone from the south for for quite a while. So, I mean, I love that. But um, right, I didn't, I didn't I did. enjoy that. I, did, I didn't. Oh, did you not? Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't enjoy the way they did it in Picard. And I, I noticed something... And it's not something that I think, like other people I've talked to, didn't really see it. I guess, and until someone else says the same thing, I'm gonna like it, it's just gonna bother me, you know. Um, like you were talking about, you know, the ridges that you see on the Vulcans, and there being the yeah. distinction of north and south. And of course, we then see that later on in the Romulans as well. You know, this distinction in in their look. But did you also notice that, like? the ones who did have the pronounced ridge for Romul in the Romulan culture were the, I guess, foot soldier ones. Like none of the ones that were in command or in control or leading anything had the ridges. It was just the actual soldiers who were doing all the, the dying. And the reason that that bothered me is because they had made it very clear that while their society, yes, overall was militaristic, they didn't really have that kind of caste system. And so to see that implied there, I was like, I feel like somebody just, it's not even a matter of like reading a book to know all the lore. I mean, it was literally in an episode that they talked about it. I was just (laughs) like, uh, why? Like, why? You know, and and the thing about it, it was in an episode of The Next Generation. So I'm like, this is Picard. You're basing it off of The Next Generation. How did you miss this when you started this show? So yeah, I wonder if that was. Uh, now, now you've mentioned it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, all the Romulans that we see in strong positions uh, in Picard are uh, flat foreheads. Uh, they haven't got the, the ridges. Uh, no, I do believe it was probably unintentional though, because I think they wanted to move back to that look to bring it back in line with the Vulcans. So they wanted to get rid of the foreheads, but they thought, well, look what's happened on 
Look what's happened on Discovery with the Klingon oh, changes. Let's, let's okay. try and so let's try okay. and explain that. Yeah, let's try and explain the ridges existed, uh, the, the, or the pronounced foreheads, whatever you want to call them. Um, but because the new characters we were meeting uh, were predominantly so that sorry, so what I should say is that so they still use some characters with the with the pronounced foreheads, but the main ones they really wanted to look the way they want Romulans to look now. But what you're absolutely right, it did actually create. Uh, a class yeah. system um, where one was subservient to uh, another, and and it was all the all the flat forehead ones. Uh, I guess you could argue that. Well, I guess say Renak had 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 the ridges, and he was a senator. You're yes, talking about a nemesis. A you're talking about a nemesis, right? No, no, no. Uh, Senator Renak. Oh, okay. Moonlight. But you're talking about yeah. But you're talking about that's Deep Space Nine, which again, okay. it, like, was something that also I feel like was missing because. Um, again, in Picard, they look completely different. There was another thing I was going to bring up. Why are all the Romulans? Where are the green ones? They all remember on on Deep Space Nine. They all came in with that deep olive skin tone. You know, mm-hmm. that is completely gone in Picard. And I'm just like, what happened? Where, where did they go? Like, I love that they looked so different from everyone else and it wasn't just a matter of you know a slight tinge here they're like they kind of did with the vulcans a little bit you know and even that went away like over time the the coloring of the aliens that gave them their signature looks that that kind of weird mottled green overtone that spock had for example gone yeah and even on discovery when they had you know young spock here completely gone his parents sarek showing up no no green skin at all and i'm just like uh i i want you guys to put that back i enjoyed that i enjoyed <laughs> that they yeah. looked alien i i you know yeah. i i missed that give me more of that not not less so yeah this is something that i also picked up on i was like i don't i don't know if i'm the only one who sees this or i'm the only one who cares or what but i would really enjoy it if they would make make my vulcans slightly green and make my you know romulans you know green with the prominent very prominent brow ridge and we even see that in in in, yeah in enterprise when we finally get to the romulans they make them both green they've got that prominent brow ridge they just all of it and then all of a sudden in um both discovery and uh picard there's like nope not gonna do it no explanation i I do prefer them without the the forehead. You do? Bridges, I'm going to say, yeah, I do. Um, I think it looks a bit naff anyway. I've got a real thing about Trek overdoing the the whole forehead alien of the week thing, and uh, I guess the Romulans okay. are just uh, my the other face of that for me, okay. where I direct my hate at. But uh, <laughs> mostly, it's because I I've spoken before on this show. I think about evolution and things, uh-huh. and me not quite. Con- I just never really been able to grasp it properly which is weird because everything else that i believe in and things would you would think that evolution would make perfect sense to me but um i just was it two thousand years ago they left vulcan so it's about i got two i've always had two thousand years in my head yeah. right or something I like think that so i just can't imagine in two thousand years something so different changing on the head you know like oh. for the skull to change so much well, in two thousand years, unless we're going to say that 
maybe Vulcans were the ones that changed. I was going to say, time, maybe but... it was the Vulcans yeah. that changed because they had the greater genetic diversity, you know, because they had a whole planet to work with versus the Romulans who left. They were, there was a very few number of them that left, left Vulcan. So they would have had a smaller gene pool to pull from when they arrived on Romulus and Remus respectively, yeah. because I think it's implied that they arrived on those two planets and there was no other life there. They, the yeah. arriving proto-Vulcans, or if that's what you want to call them in this case, the arriving Vulcans would have been the only humanoid life on that planet. So when you're looking at that kind of narrow genetic pool um, to work with, you probably are going to have more kickbacks. And I think that that's probably why we would have seen those kind of recessive traits gradually becoming dominant. Whereas on Vulcan, they were recessive and they stayed recessive because they had a more diverse population to work with. Yeah, that would actually make sense. I mean, this wouldn't even be an issue if TNG hadn't changed the yeah. makeup though yeah because because we'd already seen them look oh, yeah. uh look like Vulcans, yeah but uh tng was great for reinventing things right yeah we, well yeah. we all we all love it we like we'll say now like oh no that's my romlins yeah. i remember those they with the forehead but nowadays you change any bloody makeup on discovery or something it's like what are they doing they're ruining them give us back the other ones that were already were a change in the makeup design anyway i mean it's you know it's it just goes to show that um I think we all look back at the the TNG era of Trek with uh, maybe rose-tinted glasses sometimes, and we forget that they were doing the exact same stuff yeah. then that Trek is doing now well, uh, with yeah. changes and stuff. Who was the first one to have real money to work with, if you think about it? You know, yeah, well, it started yeah. winning a bunch of awards, and it got critical acclaim, you know, and the actors were doing so well. Uh, it just suddenly there was an influx of cash and TNG could do things that none of the other shows could. And then the other shows, they benefited from TNG being able to do these things. And then they just kind of took that and went further in making changes mm -hmm. and stuff. Because even the Romulans that we see on TNG are different from the ones that we see on Deep Space Nine. You know, um, it's, it's a minor difference, but it's still enough that it's noticeable. You know, and those two shows uh, essentially ran, you know, concurrently. You know, so there shouldn't have been a continuity issue there, yeah. but there was, you know. But yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I saw Worf and I was like, what the hell is that? And then, <laughs> and then he <laughs> said, Klingon. And I was like, no, you're not. And then, you know, it took a second. But then, you know, of course, I, yeah, of course, I got the, over the, it. Then you watched, really, then you really watched the motion picture and you were good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Once I got a hold of those, uh, you know, those tapes again, it was like, oh, yeah, you know, this, okay. That that works, but yeah. <laughs> so they all do it, and I guess it's just something that we need to go ahead and accept about Trek. They're just gonna, they're going to change it, you know. They're going to change it to fit whatever the storyline is. I think it's fun to kind of sit back and kind of figure out why they have whatever the prosthesis is that they have, right? Like, why are Ferengi's heads so? bulbous you know why do majorans have the wrinkly nose uh why do klingons have the the huge you know forehead ridges uh all of it you know like we'll, yeah. we'll never we'll never necessarily know definitive answers though, of course because i mean these are fictitious characters but i think that it's just cool to you know they gave us a little something else to kind of just keep our brains you know active while we're being bored at work or something you know yeah <laughs> So 
kind of kind of shooting off into to threads or to to storylines that that die but then get brought back up again a little mm. bit. The uh, the temporal cold war was mentioned in this to kind of be like, hey, I'm still here, but we're gonna you know pause this and go off on another adventure real quick. Um. So do you, do you think this was a good good spot to to, to pause since we we had uh, gotten to the to the halfway point with oh what was the last one we did Kyle? Future Tense was the yeah Future uh, Tense yeah the previous one yeah yeah I think the um, the Temple Cold War really well it depends how you define the Zindi arc because as set up by this episode mm-hmm. the Zindi arc is is a part of the Temple Cold War. Um, but I don't think we as fans ever really look at them as one one thing. We tend to treat them as two different storylines, I think. Um, right. And maybe they weren't meant to be uh, treated that way. Because in my mind, the Temple Cold War, it kind of went away after this episode and was brought back just to be killed off, really, for the start of season four. Um, and was it the right time to pause on it? I would probably say... No, because season two didn't really touch on it too much. And I yeah. think um, I'm aware the writers didn't really 100% know where they wanted to go with it anyway. They were kind of making it up as they went. But I think season three was the absolute right time to say, no, we are going to dive into the te- Temporal Cold War, actually. But what they did was they didn't dive into what we knew about the Temporal Cold War. They just introduced a whole new other side of it uh, yeah. New factions, everything that we'd never heard of, and we don't. We'd only just had the Tholians introduced, like I don't know, ten episodes earlier or something, uh, into the whole thing. So, um, yeah, I do see it as like the true end of the Temporal Cold War with this episode, um, but at the same time, I guess you don't get the Zindi arc without the Temporal Cold War. Uh, it sets it up, doesn't it? So, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I've said a lot about the Temporal Cold War before on this show, and. Um, I, I I loved it. I actually did like it. Uh, I wasn't a massive fan of how it was all wrapped up, but I did enjoy it. And I would have, I would like to see a bit more. You know, I still think Future Guy and Silic were just so much left on the table. Oh, that yeah. wasn't. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. I um, I love story arcs. I think that that's when Star Trek shines the most. Is when they give us great complex story arcs. Um. I and I, I, it's one of those things like I feel like they knew that because they had great two parters and cliffhanger episodes throughout much of Trek, and they're some of the highest rated, most go to, binge watched, rewatched episodes of all of Trek are the the two parters or those uh, the occasional three parter or like Deep Space Nine. The whole last season is basically a saga in and of itself, you know. Yeah. Um. So. I never understood why they there was this calling to go back to episodic television when repeatedly these stories got the most callback, right? And uh, they're mm-hmm. the most memorable. So when when that seemed to be the avenue that uh, Enterprise was taking, and each episode just being a constant, not just a continuation, but just building, building and building more and more. Um, I really enjoyed it. And I also felt like, man, the callback to the temporal Cold War, which we hear mentioned in the first season, was great. 
anytime that you can do that for me in a story, connect your beginning to your, your, you know, your middle and your end, you know, um, is a great feature to me. Uh, I agree though, that I think that, I don't think they truly knew what the cold war was going to be until later, until yeah. the post 9-11 fallout and everything else and trying to figure out where they wanted Star Trek to go. I really don't think that they had much intended for that. Um, I also wanted to find out who is this shadowy temporal man that keeps popping up, you know, when we were going to see his face and who he was. I had a theory that it was Archer. Um, that oh. he- Brandon, Brandon Braga says, has since claimed that's what they were going to do. Oh, I, really? I, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I... I disagree. Oh. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that yeah. I think Brandon Braga is talking out of his okay. ass and that, they, okay. and that they never planned it. But if you think it was well, Archer, then maybe I, Brandon Braga did drop some bread. I always thought that it was Archer. Like um, when what cinched it for me as to why it was Archer was. Do you remember the episode where? Um, gosh, why am I blanking on names? But Archer, he had stepped into the turbo lift and disappeared. And the, the yeah. Enterprise had been surrounded by the Suliban ships, right? Yeah, shockwave. Yes, yeah, okay. Shockwave and so he had been taken to the future by Daniels, and then they were building a communicator to talk to to Paul in the past. And they ended up talking to her. She's laying in her quarters on her bed, and Archer's floating above his head, the holographic yellow head. Exactly. Right, right. <laughs> so, like, I was like, okay, so now we see that the Federation clearly develops this technology because... Daniels knew about it, right? And then, obviously, Daniels has no problem with hopping back and forth throughout time, and he clearly seems to be fixated on Archer, and Archer is a key component of this temporal Cold War, as are the Zindi. And so I was just like, his interaction constantly with with this technology and the Zindi and always coming back to that helix and always being back in that room it's just like it's a focal point. Like clearly, there is something that goes on here that keeps drawing him and his and his crew back to it. And I was like, I think it'd be really cool if at the end of this we found out that Archer basically, because of his intense um, contact with the Zindi, and in the episode "Detained" that you you know you you talked about multiple times, you know he, um, you know his his sudden understanding of the Zindi, you know, that he gleans from that. And then that line that that shadowy guy gives of the Zindi work for me, like he's kind of removed them from the temporal cold war and they're, they're, they're their own individual faction being influenced just by him. To me, it made sense that the only person that could be is Archer who is trying to get the Zindi to, uh, you know, be on the side of right, but they're a much more aggressive uh version right like this is the archer if earth is blown up is destroyed by the zindi right this also explains why the yeah. shadowy man never let Silic kill archer even though he had many 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 times that he could have killed archer this is why he the guy never allowed it so again i was just like so many things are stacking up here for this to be old decrepit half body half burned archer peering through the future and trying to change it right 
And if that had actually turned out, like if the show had gone on and they had done that and revealed that it was old, crazy one-eye Archer, I, I think I just would have lost it. Like, it had been perfect. <laughs> it's the first time I've seen someone try to really lay out I've tried. The, I've tried the, many yeah. times. Yeah, I've tried many. Like, look at well, the you're connections. Not yeah, yeah. You're, you're not wrong. What everything you said there, I was kind of like, well, actually, if you needed to connect the dots to try and explain why we've made Archer mm-hmm. Future Guy, then you're right. It is all there. I I just don't know personally if that was the intent all along. Yeah. Well, if they, maybe if the show That's had up. gone on for like another season or two, we it would have they would yeah, have given yeah, us yeah. more. Yeah. Or you know plot twists you know, instead of you know his dad dying he gets catapulted into the future and, oh, and, so and henry archer is his future guy <laughs> daddy issues then oh yeah it could be that's a podcast episode for you guys in the future you just <laughs> debate debate who was future guy and who should it have been oh man all right um so I do believe, if if memory serves, this is our last appearance of Duros for about two hundred years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, was this a, a fitting into the uh, Colden Klingon warrior? I think Perry said uh, uh, pretty much everything on it <laughs> earlier earlier at the start about about Duras. Um, I agree with. I didn't do it at the times. So I knew we were going to chat about it later. But I actually agree with everything Perry said. And because why give us like a new Klingon family mm-hmm. or person to hate when everything that's been established about the Klingons from well, from TNG onwards, you could maybe argue the, the movies, the TOS movies, was about their family lineage. Mm-hmm. So yeah. these families have been, uh, you know, part of the Klingon hierarchy for the longest time. We see it in Discovery with all the Klingon houses and stuff. So it would make perfect sense that Archer would be dealing with Klingons who we may know the descendants of for 200 yeah. years down the line. That makes sense. If we bumped into... I can't remember if, if the Duras line is completely uh, dead following the end of Generations, but you know, if, if they weren't, you could... It would make perfect sense if we bump into a Duras in Discovery, which is taking place like seven or hundred years after those shows, because that's how the Klingon society works. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I mean, this whole fan things, a lot, a lot of fans will just try and uh, use that whole originality uh, yeah. thing at throw it at shows. Yeah. But you know, it's it's there. It's in universe. There's an in universe explanation for why it would be Duras, and the fact that there's this Klingon that is just he was because Duras's introduction, he was like. Line, I think, was it this first one? Was when he was like lying about what happened to his ship. Was that his first appearance or his second? In, um, in this episode, so, yeah. In this episode, no. When he previous episodes is is like, where when he's, when he's first introduced. Yeah, and he talks about how Archer and the Enterprise was like this, just basically mean warship yeah. that attacked them unprovoked. And and well, if we were to think about you know these Klingons who will lie for their own gain and oh. stuff, well, who have we already got? Well. It's a Duras yeah. family, the the House of Duras, and we know from previous tracks actually that uh, the traits within a house tend to be something that is passed down, uh, yeah. and there's not like typically a rare exception. That's just how the house behave. So I mean, I I was glad for the Duras in there. I think it's one of the little arcs that we all maybe are guilty of forgetting sometimes. Mm-hmm. 
it's an enterprise like particularly season two the the storyline with archer and the klingons as a whole it's there's actually a really fantastic story arc yeah right there in season two starting with marauders really uh, and, and and working through particularly when you get onto judgment um bounty is it bounty where yeah. um uh, where he's archer's been captured and is going to get taken to the klingons by that a whole no thing. yeah so i think um now, I was happy to see Duras in it. I don't know how many siblings he had, because I'm assuming that the Duras family members we see later on are not his direct they would be, uh, descendants. I, they, we... I think they would be, because he, in Enterprise, the Duras that we're seeing, he is... Is he the... The paterfamilias, as the, as the term goes, you know? So he would be he would be uh, then Lursa and Bator's... What? He could be their grandfather because we know that we know that Klingons live for a very long, long yeah. time. So he could be yeah. at yeah. at most he could be their he could be their father. No, yes, yeah, I, I think you're yeah, right. Grandfather, grandfather to father because because we saw in Deep Space Nine that what was his name, Kang Koloth, and the other one were like 150 years old, still yeah. running around. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah, and he, he, yeah, and if you think like if. If Dearest, even if he only had like a newborn child at this mm-hmm. point, if they do live for 150 to 200 years, even if this one waits 100 years to have like the uh, the Dearest uh, mm-hmm. twins, we could just say that they were 80 to 100 years right. old come exactly. TNG. So, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a closer link there than which again gives even more reason to have Dearest yep. be exactly. in the show yeah. because, he, because he's so close to. Uh, to the generation we saw in, in TNG, and if you and if they had, if they had created even just another Klingon to play that part, I don't think that we would have had the same kind of reaction to it. Like you know, you were talking about Duras's introduction when we first see him in Enterprise. He's lying. He's lying about his first interaction with uh, Archer. I don't know about anybody else, but you know, when you watch that, when I watched it, I was just like, man, Duras lying again. You know. Even though, like, this is yeah. actually technically the first time that we're interacting with him, so it's not him lying again. But just again, you hear that name, you're like, you know, that visceral. It's Duras, of course, it's Duras. We couldn't have got that if it was anybody else. If they had thrown another name in there, that wouldn't have been the same reaction, you know. So, yeah, I just uh, once again, I just don't see how that it could have been anybody else. It has to be Duras. It works the other way as well. So I guess if someone's watched Enterprise through a couple of times, maybe not watched any other Trek, but then they'll start to watch TNG and to see how important right. the family yeah. are to the, the Klingon stuff going on there, they might be thinking, oh, yeah, damn, damn Duras again. <laughs> They're doing exactly what they were doing in Archer's time. What what the hell, man? So, it, yeah, it works. Both and that's the fun of a prequel. Mm-hmm. That's that's the bits where you have fun yeah. with, with it. Because, like, my partner... Um, she, her first, well, she watched Discovery and Picard, but her first experience of all the older shows was Enterprise. Mm. So she's watched all that. And now for one of my podcasts, uh, she is watching all the other ones with me. So we haven't got to Duras oh. yet, but I'm, I'm waiting for the little moments where like, is she yeah, when meet? that, when that, or even if I tell her, goes, if I tell her, she might yeah, be, yeah, when that light goes off her like, head. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because oh. she loved Enterprise. So she's seeing it the, the other way to how I saw it, you know, so it's kind of, uh, just great fun to see someone nice. encounter those little nuggets the other way around. Very nice, very cool. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll go on to, to to point number six here. Uh, 
the story. Do you think that this is the, the, the greatest season finale in all of Trek? Or is there one that's better? So we'll, we'll take out, you know, uh, season seven of Voyager, Deep Space Nine, TNG. And then I guess you could call Turnabout Intruder the series finale for the original <laughs> series. <laughs> I know my answer. Um, I don't think it's the greatest single season finale in Trek, but I do think, I do think it may be tied. Uh, I struggle for, and I'm judging it on the merit of uh, a season finale that completely changed the show or made you think ahead to the next season, what the hell's coming up Mm-hmm. long term not how they're going to resolve that cliffhanger but oh my god what what's coming ahead and the only episode i can think of that compares uh with that setup is i forget the name of it but the season five uh finale of ds9 where they leave the station sorry spoilers <laughs> if you haven't no, you know, watched no, all ds9 but see. i'm about to drop them yeah, people yeah. uh so um, don't, don't tell katie about this <laughs> yes katie turn this off now if you're listening uh so when they have to leave the station you know, and uh, and you don't know what that dynamic's going to be. And from the way DS9's been set up, you feel, yeah, <laughs> Chris is there with the baseball uh, in his hand. And you got the hint that Cisco's coming back for the station, but you don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. And and the expanse is exactly the same in that it is, it's setting up the board for a new game, so to speak. Whereas every other Trek cliffhanger, well, season finale was kind of just giving you the shock moment of how yeah. to fix it. In the next episode, none ever really carry on beyond an episode or two. I guess best of both worlds, you could say you had families, um, and then then it was done though. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Picard doesn't deal with his PTSD from that. I don't think until is it uh, maybe season five uh, when Hugh shows up. I can't remember, but um, I think that Expanse and that DS Nine finale, I think they're tied for me. But I do think I do think they're both fantastic episodes of Trek that you, that change their show. Um. Yeah, I agree. Um, my episode, I was gonna say uh, the best of both worlds, just based on what you said initially about a sh- uh, an ending that is shocking and you know potentially changes the tone of the rest of the show. I mean, I remember the first time that I saw Best of Both Worlds and saw, you know, the transformation of Picard, I was certainly shocked. I was shocked. I was devastated. I was like, oh, no, they're going to have to kill him. You know, like all these things, you know, and I think that's obviously that's what they want, you know. Um, uh, but, yeah, as, a, as far as it goes for establishing a more complex long-term story arc, I think... Enterprise, once again, does this very well. They give us a lot to work with. And even as the episode is ending, you feel like nothing has been resolved, which is not something that you can really stay for a lot of the other series in their in their season finales, except for Deep Space Nine. Um, yep. I don't know why they, again, went away from that. But yeah, it just there's just this anticipation of, you know, let's. We have to see the next one, the next one, the next one, because they're they've done such a great job of giving you way too much that you know it can't be resolved in 
the next episode or even the yeah. next one and the next one it it has to keep going so uh yeah. yeah that sense of anticipation that sense of a whole new scope being you know laid before us great job great job i'm just gonna say on the best of both worlds because i've never bought into the the hype about best of both worlds and it's only because i, th- I think and i was only thinking this actually now as as you were talking about it I watched it after I'd seen a lot of TNG. Oh, so, oh, I have so the cliffhanger. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can imagine, and I know it. I know it's the type of case as well. I've read the history of the episode uh, as a as a TV moment. It was it was huge, um, helped define the cliffhanger. I think for 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 American television. But I I knew that Picard gets fine. Oh. <laughs> you know, so because oh. I'd seen him in other Trek, and I think my first Trek I'd seen was was from season five or six, oh, and so. Okay. Uh, well, TNG Trek. I'd seen TOS as a, as a little baby, apparently. But um, so when I went back and watched it, it was a shock. I was like, "Oh, I didn't know this happened," yeah. but I knew he wasn't going to stay that way and die. Uh, okay. I, I think that that affects best yeah. both worlds. I think if you're a, yeah, it definitely does a first time viewer. Definitely does because I had yeah. I had never seen yeah. it. I had never seen. It. I didn't know anything about it. And so when I watched the first one, and and you know, I was like, "Oh, they're going to get him back. That's a great plan." I'm watching you know, the data wharf rescue attempt and, or no, uh, uh, the, the away team with Shelby and I was getting parts one yeah. and part two confused there for a second, but yeah, watching all them going there, I was like, okay, that's a great team. Riker should have been there, but whatever, fine. They're going to, they're going to get him and they're going to bring him back. And then they didn't, they failed. And then Riker tries to blow him up. And again, he fails. I was like, what is this? Like, what's happening? Where, where's the clever, the clever, uh, you know, save the day hero moment. I'm like, Picard's going to figure it out. You can't, you can't assimilate him, you know, and, and then none of it happened. And I just, I remember sitting back and watching it and being like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to watch this. Like I was, I was that tied to that character. It's like, I need, I need Picard wow. back. Like, I, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, if he's not the captain, I'm like, I like Riker, but he's not, he's not Jean-Luc. Like, what's up? And then, of course, you know, you see finally. And the, the thing about, for me, watching that one, I didn't get to see part two for like a month. Yeah, because yeah. at the time, my family moved and like a couple other things happened. And so by the time we were able to reestablish, like, what, even what channel it comes on, it had been like almost a month. And I was just like devastated that I was going to finally turn this back on and it was going to be Riker, you know? So yeah, that, that one really got me. And after that, you know, I was okay. (laughs) (laughs) How about you, Chris? Yeah. I can say for, for me, um, like you're saying, because for, for my introduction to TNG was pretty much through the movies. I mean, I'd seen a couple episodes here and there. So, like, like like Kyle, I knew Picard wasn't going to stay Lacutus forever. Um, so it did kind of take take the the sting out of it there, but uh, but also kind of like Kyle was saying, you know, it is it really is a toss up between the the Expanse and the the season five finale for Deep Space Nine for me. I feel like we're going to end up talking so about far, Deep Space Nine a lot. Uh, yeah. Without without <laughs> intending to, we're probably going to end up talking about it a lot. The funny thing is, I don't think we've ever really touched on DS Nine uh, until I think your episode you guys did on your intro. Really? Well, we've kind of um, yeah, we've never well because we've oh. we've not really got into any of the episodes yet that have 
clear connections Connections, to DS9, like the Zindi arc, which is very, Mm -hmm. you know, is tied into DS9. We haven't had a chance to really look at decisions Archer made compared to decisions that Cisco made uh, in, like, uh, In the Pale Moonlight and things Mm -hmm. like that. So uh, there's obvious, there are obvious comparisons and conversations to have about Enterprise and DS9. But we've, in 43 episodes, we've barely ever touched on the show um but I, I, there's obviously a lot of love for ds9 uh, mm-hmm. uh, amongst all of us um so all right um we'll go favorite slash memorable moments for for you guys uh go ahead and start with perry here of this episode or just in general yeah the episode okay. um i think my favorite and again most memorable is seeing the photon torpedoes on enterprise i loved it like i I guess it's one of those we we knew what they were beforehand because we've seen other trek right and watching those other missiles that they were using i always hated them i was like i just yeah i just did just hated them and then to see the photon torpedo on the ship finally and then to see it in action and it was that bright orange and the explosions and all the rest of it i was like man this is this is beautiful like i loved seeing it so yeah the photon torpedoes is definitely going to be my my thing like it just made me so happy to see them it's people were i remember online people complaining about the photonic torpedoes saying that what they just had a, a two letters at the end of the name and that's we're meant to believe they're different technology oh this is so <laughs> unoriginal and it's like but you know what like what you described then, Perry, sometimes you've just got to put some stuff yeah. in because those are staples of the franchise, you know, and yeah. there's so much different stuff. But some fans just want to see the torpedo and the light, uh, you know, and the flare coming off or whatever, firing out from the ship. And, uh, yeah. and they want to see it blowing exactly shit Exactly it. You know? <laughs> I, loved, I also loved about the photon torpedoes that they were talking about the different yields, you know, like when we first yeah. see them, it's 25%, then it's 50 and then we see the full 100% and it's just obliterating ships. I was like, um, I didn't know they could do that. Uh, glad someone <laughs> clarified, and I don't know why you just don't keep them at 100 the whole time. They should always be <laughs> <I> know, right? <laughs> So, yeah, just just go for it. But yeah, I yeah, the torpedoes is my thing. I was, uh, I think I said earlier, the scene between Archer and Trip in this episode I thought was just two actors just completely trusting each other and and the characters big moments um i loved everything that trip did in this episode uh, even though we've talked about how there was a slight uh, lack of emotional weight because we had, didn't know elizabeth but uh, i think that performance wise connor was just he hit it out of the yeah. park because yeah he actually made he made trip dislikable sometimes in this episode you know there was a trip is a jerk to reed mm-hmm. uh, when reed is trying to be supportive but you see the stages that trip is going through though because trip was really sort of you could see he was thankful for reed's sympathy when he's gone to florida to look at the damage but by the time they're back on the ship which i think i think is like i get i get the idea it's like a month or so later at that point you can see that trip just he doesn't want any of it he doesn't want yeah. to hear it uh, and i just thought Wow, like, Trip is dislikable here, and I've never really found Trip dislikable, even when he's made mistakes. Um, I've never found him dislikable, but he was there. Uh, 
And then when you see him in that scene with Archer and you're like, oh my God, what has gone on with Trip? You feel like it's going to be Trip making all the dark choices in season three uh, and not Archer. It's, you know, it's a great performance. Maybe and... Trip is the silhouetted man. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe he is, yeah. Uh, and I think one thing that none of us have mentioned um, was uh, the, the scene with Paul and well, it's two scenes really. It's Paul and Flocks when they're talking about um, Flocks staying behind and what what's Paul going to do. And then when Paul then speaks to Archer about it um, right at the end of the episode, I guess this bit. And when she says she wants to give up her um, her Vulcan High Command commission or whatever the name for it was, that is such a significant two character scenes for Paul that are so important when you actually look at the overall grand scheme of T'Pol's storyline because that's the moment where you realise that she's loyal to Archer and not to her people. And then that's, you know, that sets the way for all the experimenting she does with emotions and things as the show goes on. The trip relationship doesn't probably ever happen if she decides to stay, uh, to stay on Vulcan, you know. I I don't mean like, I just mean it wouldn't have even happened down the line when the ship had come back because yeah. uh, she made that disconnect from her Falcon side, which led to the trip thing happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I think those are fantastic moments. And this, God, I mean, look what it did for its three main actors. Enterprise was about its three main stars predominantly. And this episode set up the three of them for the rest of the show. Like the rest of the show came out yeah. of what was set up with them in this episode with their with their future story arcs. So um, I got so many favorite. It's such a good episode, man. It's such a good episode. For me, really, it is, like you guys have mentioned, uh, you know, seeing see, see the torpedoes, you know, since, you know, the big TOS fan here. Um, but, like, also the, 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 the quieter moments there, you know, with, with Flocks and T'Pol and then, you know, reading reading trip there in florida surveying the damage you can tell how how tore up trip is you know kind of seeing his hometown in ruin mm-hmm. so all right anything else you guys want to cover before we go on to final thoughts been uh we've been everywhere we've been all across the alpha <laughs> quadrant and the beta quadrant and, the <laughs> and everything in this episode we've um we've covered so much i just i just think um we we should draw attention to the fact that you know the network execs were on the back of Rick Berman uh, and the writers at the show had at this point ratings had started to drop significantly uh, for the series and they wanted some changes and it you know it turns out Scott Bakula wasn't happy with standalone stories as well he wanted something more um, more significant so I, I think I remember reading a story that he where he said he basically went and banged on like Brandon Braga's door or picked up the phone or something or Rick Berman, whichever one it was, and was saying, hey, we need to do something. We can't just keep doing these standalone stories like what you've been doing for, for years before. And they were like, well, actually, as it happens, this is what we're doing. Uh, and so it came from that. So it's just interesting that all these things conspired. But you know now that for this podcast, Chris, we've said this a lot. We've done a lot of season two discussions. Mm-hmm. And actually, the back half of season two is has some really flipping good stuff in there. Uh, some of my favourite standalones of the show, I didn't even realise were all just in the second half of season two. So I don't think things were as dire uh, for it. I think that 
as Scott Bakula made out. Uh, and I, I love Scott Bakula, by the way. He's, he's my man. But um, I just think maybe there was a, a lack of consequence from some stories, from story to story at that point, which is probably what frustrated him because he wanted to do something that, that was longer term and, and had effect from episode to episode because the show had slightly lost that a little bit yeah. in the second half of season two. Um, yeah. But uh, I thought they did the best they could uh, and they give it, the show was already great. Mm-hmm. It was even greater from season three onwards. So I would say that they did everything that was asked of them and, and uh, it was quite creative. They, they literally, finally the handcuffs were off. It was a bit, little bit like, let's f- Rick, Rick Berman kind of said, okay, Rick ain't a great guy, but you know, Rick Berman was kind of saying, I've been trying to just make the exact same track that I promised Gene I would make. <laughs> uh, but now I'm going to let, I'm going to let the, sh- the shackles come off. Um, maybe he did it too late. Um, because well, DS9 was doing it whilst he wasn't paying attention and it did great. And <laughs> enterprise got even better as well. Once that, once they took the shackles off, but, um, uh, I, don't know, I just think I think this episode set way for whatever reasons created it behind the scenes I think the Expanse episode helped set up some of the best Star Trek uh, that we got from that whole era of, of Trek from 1987 through to 2005 um, I don't think I've talked about it too too much but um, I've always felt that Enterprise was a show that just was a little bit ahead of its time like um, when when Voyager ended, I thought that we should kind of put a moratorium on Trek and not do any new shows for a while, you know, because uh, as as good as Voyager was, I think it was already proving that the episodic format of television that at least the Star Trek was using was dated and it needed to yeah. kind of go away. And well, Buffy, Buffy was four years old. Yeah was doing serialized storytelling angel yeah. 24 was about to launch yeah, <laughs> yeah i mean and it right. just and and then here comes star trek with yet another one and i mean it makes perfect sense that bacula is you know calling people and banging on doors and being like we gotta do something different because like all tv the face of tv was changing and for star trek to you know pop up and berman to be like nope we're gonna keep doing more of the same it's just like it, it's almost like you're trying to kill your own your own franchise kind of trying to kill your own job um but one thing that I enjoy and why I always say that uh, it's ahead of its time is because if you consider what's going on in the world now and, you know, especially again, looking at, and this is the, the, if you can call it, call it such a thing, the full fallout of nine 11, there was very much this kind of isolationist uh, mindset that popped up in, uh, current culture and what enterprise was was to me anyway was stepping out of that we have this first ship this first crew they're braving the unknowns of space for the first time and so they're they're just getting out there they're just getting started and i kind of feel like that's where we are now like we're coming out of a lot of conflicts we're coming out of a pandemic we're coming out of just a lot of very dark things that kept us all to ourselves and so we kind of need that as a inspiration that we're moving into something um better though it's it's time to open back up it's time to you know explore be careful of course but still you know explore and i think that enterprise 
does a great job with that. Enterprise also gave us great character development right away versus us having to wait for it forever, you know? And that's another thing that I appreciate about the show. And one thing I also feel like they got gypped on. There are so many great interpersonal moments with each member of the crew, not just captain to engineer, captain to first officer, but, you know, helmsman to communications officer, Uh, you know, things like that, just that we were beginning to see that were really great, full of potential, and then just we never got to really see them go anywhere. And um, ultimately, I just think that this show, um, it just needed more time. And if it had been done now, like let's say they had never done it, and then instead of giving us discovery, they gave us enterprise. I think now would be a perfect time for it. You, you, you know, if, yeah. when you're trying to show um, inclusiveness, what better time and better way to do it than with a show that is showing the foundation, like showing us the roadblocks to get to Starfleet, to get to Starfleet the way that it is, right? We need. That's what everybody's always asking about. Like, how did we get there? And I see that question online all the time. Do you ever think we'll ever get to a world like Star Trek? Well, (laughs) maybe if we got to see a little bit more of the building blocks. Well, Enterprise was a great show for that. was a great way that we could have got that. We just needed more time with him. I think that's why it's getting so popular now as well. Because you see online now, loads of people are watching it for the first time. And they're they're like, oh, I didn't watch this back when it was airing because I just... You know, I didn't like the idea of a prequel, but oh my god, this is now tied as my favorite mm-hmm. Trek show with DS9. Yeah, D- I was going to say DS9 is another one that's getting a, a closer look in rewatch. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I, I think if Enterprise has got the seven seasons, actually, and um, they talk about the character moments mm-hmm. and things, anyone who's watched all of the other shows will tell you that you know DS9's characters were the most developed across the seven seasons, and that's not under dispute. But I'm telling you right now, if Enterprise had gone seven seasons. And carried on the way it was. We would have gotten a, a Travis it and Hoshi episode. Yes. Yeah, we would have. It would have. It would have beaten DS Nine out for character development because I, I do think they, in four seasons, what Enterprise did was with its characters was far greater than what any other mm. shows did in their first four seasons. So that's my own opinion. I'm, I will fight people <laughs> for it. But, wow. <laughs> okay. So, but yeah, I'm gonna say, well, with uh, with Scott Bakula, you know, no longer doing NCIS, NCIS New Orleans. I mean, <sighs> we can always hold out hope for Star Trek Archer. <laughs> I'd heard there was a rumor that he was coming back to Star Trek. I don't know in what capacity, yeah. but I'd, I'd heard that that was the rumor that both him and Avery Brooks were coming back in some kind of capacity. Just don't know what. I yeah, don't I believe the I... Brooks thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think he's he's become like a hasn't he become a bit of a social recluse now, isn't he? Yeah. Well, he uh, still he still teaches, yeah. and I know that he recently won, he won some kind of award, like I think like just short of three months ago. He yeah, oh, he? so he's still he's still active in doing things, but um, uh, that's why I was curious about the whole Star Trek return. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, truly don't know where he stands. I just know that he's still out there doing stuff. So yeah, Bakula is much more likely. Sorry, yeah. Chris, but I think Bakula is more likely because he, he works with CBS still. Um, I know, obviously, New Orleans coming to an end, but he's got a good relationship there. Um, he's out. He's obviously out of work right now, and will be looking for something. And he's always 
entertained conversations about revisiting his famous characters, which was Sam Beckett, you know, for years. Even when he's on Enterprise, he's been asked, you know, when are you going to do another Quantum Leap? Because uh, there was talk for ages about doing like a TV movie, wasn't there? Or a reboot where yeah. it'd be his daughter. And so he may do some cameo appearances. And uh, so I think he's been open to that. I don't think he's ever ruled out doing Trek again. When he did the the Star Trek day. Yeah. Was it Star Trek Day they did? Um, yeah. Back in November, I think it was. September, yeah. September. Oh, yeah, of course it would have been September, yeah. <laughs> Star Trek Day and all. Um, when he was there for that panel, that did fill me with a little bit of hope because I thought he's still con- he's still connected mm. <laughs> to the franchise. And I mean, I'd love to see him back. I also think Scott Bakula would come and do something with whatever the team was that were put together um, for this Archer project whether it's a short track or a series, who knows, but it, someone like Avery Brooks and that, I think he's going to, he's going to want to work with someone from DS9, yeah, you yeah. Know, someone who he had trust in. And I, and I just don't know if any, I don't know if we'd see any of those people come back to track right now. I don't think Ira is going to come back. I don't think, I think Ronald Moore's uh, having a lot of fun with his new show for Apple TV and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just don't see, I don't see the situation being yeah. there scenario being there for Avery Brooks to come back whereas I think I think Bakula's just more of a well if they figure it out I would love to see him I I would love to see Cisco come back I just we all want to we all want to animated maybe it's going to be animated you know I'll take that I would take that I can say when 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 we saw them drawn up you know the season premiere for season eight we we were wanting that oh oh yeah yeah Yeah, the season eight yeah oh man Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So next week, uh, we are going to be talking about the Zindi. Um, I know Perry and I will be back. This is Kyle's final episode as a regular. So just want to thank you for the, the, the previous, you know, 40 some odd weeks you've been on. You almost made it to a full year. working us together. I know. Well, there was that part of me which thought I've got to get to number 52 uh, and say that I've done a year's worth of episodes. Um, but with other stuff that was going on and just, you know, commitments and time, this is a weekly show. Uh, for anyone listening to this, I hope you appreciate all the work that the guys put in and will be putting in in the future to, to bring this to you weekly because it is hard. Um, particularly when it was when it was the old show, I guess we'll call it now, when it was just me and yeah. Chris as well as just two guys who are split in the editing living in different time zones uh, all these things um and i get the bigger team is going to work for you guys i love the energy on your first episode mm-hmm. together i thought it was like listening to a different show but i could still but in a good way you know it was like i was listening to a, a really yeah. fun enterprise podcast as a listener and uh, it wasn't like i was thinking what are they doing to my show? They've ruined it. <laughs> it wasn't like that at all. You know, I, I was excited listening to it. Um, and uh, I will I will be back on it. Um, I think I'm booked in for the, the 52nd episode, yep. actually. Uh, He'll be here for the birthday. And, <laughs> and I'll definitely come back for a Zati Prime. I know that much. So, um, And maybe I'll just come back to stir the pot every now and then with some yeah. uh, controversial opinions. But I've loved the run. In fact, although I haven't made a made it to a year with episodes. I think we've actually been working on this for just over a year now, uh, Chris, yeah, when we first started. Thereabouts, I don't yeah. know if it was April or start of May that we started working on it last year. 
So it's been a, it has been a long road <laughs> getting, <laughs> getting from there to here. wasn't wasn't deliberate. I didn't go there deliberately. <laughs> uh, sorry, but um, I've been a great show. And honestly, uh, just from the business side of it, the, the numbers are growing mm-hmm. on this show every single week, and um, and it's great to see, especially when you put it in a graph. You look at the little graphs yeah. and you see the numbers going higher and higher. It's great. Uh, so I look forward to listening as a fan of the show. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to say in the, in the coming weeks, I will be providing some uh, reporting on the uh, Connor Trenier and Dominic Keating Zoom from the, the Voyager. That's background. right. That's right. That's going to be that's going to be my Saturday night okay. this week. <laughs> so are you allowed to um, are you allowed to record? Record the audio or anything? I, I don't know. <laughs> it, because it'd be nice if I could. <laughs> I can't see why they couldn't, why they wouldn't let you. So you should see, man. Because well, you want to keep it for one. You pay yeah. for it, and also that's that's some great podcast content. Yeah, <laughs> just share share your memory forever. Put it there on the internet. The Expanse, a Star Trek Enterprise podcast, is produced and hosted by Chris Hill and myself, Kyle West, and is a part of the Holosuite Media Podcast Network. To keep up to date with all the news and updates from The Expanse, be sure to follow NX01Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find Chris Hill on Twitter at the Chris Hill and myself on Twitter at Kyle Thomas West. To join the Holosuite Media Community Discussion Group, simply type The Nexus into the Facebook search bar, and we'll see you there. Thank you for listening. This show is brought to you by Holosuite Media. Computer, list other available Holosuite Media programs. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Her First Trek, a Star Trek review podcast. I mean, his family nominated him to go through this process, to die and go to the next life, because he was an inconvenience. Yeah, and he just had a bad leg, so he could still move around. Yeah. With a struggle, but he could I, move around. I imagine he, like, toilets by himself and feeds yeah. himself and... Appears to be able to dress himself. Like, we can talk to him. Yeah. He's got a decent convo, you know? But it was just but it's it too, was much too much for his it wife. too much for his wife, who wanted a fully functional partner, I guess. Get yourself an Android, love. Yeah. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. And it wouldn't surprise me in the sex cabin if the table's wonky because the amount of times that oh. Aaron Tom's probably jumped on there, it's yeah, got to be sticky. damaged it. Oh, <laughs> you know that table's sticky. Oh, Suzanne, it's in the sex cabin. <laughs> it's it's got a table be not just for pool balls. <laughs> it's a table not just for pool balls. No. <laughs> yeah. the the thing The scary thing is, is you don't know. For sure, what that sticky is, because nobody's going to test it. Nobody, <laughs> nobody. Computer, deactivate Hollow Suite.